All right. If you were with us last week, you know that we uh, were prepping ourselves for this season of Lent. Lent is this time in the church calendar uh, where it is this wave preparation leading up to Easter. It's the 40 days leading up to Easter, not including the Sundays between this past Wednesday and when Easter comes. And there's a few things that we do more regularly now as a church family, as part of our yearly calendar. And that is we take time to remember and celebrate and reflect on Advent and Lent and Pentecost. Those are three distinct seasons for us in the life of St. Clair because they root us in the narrative and the story of Scripture and what God has been doing and is still doing. Advent is this reminder to us that God has come with us. Lent is this reminder for us that God is for us. And Pentecost is a reminder that God actually has come and made his home in us. That's, that's why we keep circulating back on these things. And Lent particularly is a season where historically, people have chosen some kind of fast as a way of preparing themselves, of sort of taking on the same kind of experience that Jesus had in the desert of fasting for 40 days. But we don't mean to do this alone. We uh, are sending out what will be every Sunday, uh, a weekly devotional, that if you're choosing to fast something during this season, then you're more than welcome to put your name on a list back there. Many of you already have, uh, but that will uh, sort of be a way in which together as a community, we can uh, journey through what it means to fast together uh, in preparation for Easter. We've been reading Psalm 63 uh, last week and this week, and it'll be what we come back to again, because it is this psalm that is a really beautiful yearning for God. And so we're using that as this backdrop through the season of Lent as we talk about Lent as this desert experience, this time, this place where things get stripped back, where things get stripped away. Uh, Some of you were with me yesterday and I heard these words that I thought were helpful in terms of thinking about this act of choosing to have things stripped away in our life. That in the desert, the desert, I should say, reveals who we are and what we love. When you kind of peel back all the things that we typically hold on to to kind of prop us up and get us by, what happens when you pull just a couple of those comforts or defaults away? What does it reveal of who we are and what we love? We often live our lives feeding our emptiness and starving what we actually hunger for. But the desert experience, by stripping things back, helps us starve our emptiness and begin to feed our hunger. Let me read you these words uh, specifically around food and fasting at Lent. This comes from Ronald Rollheiser. He says, Lent invites us to stop eating whatever protects us from having to face the desert that is inside of us. It invites us to feel our smallness, to feel our vulnerability, to feel our fears. 
and to open ourselves up to the chaos of the desert so that we can finally give the angels a chance to feed us. That's the Christian ideal of Lent, to face one's chaos. What a haunting and beautiful invitation. That's what we're trying to journey through together. And specifically today, I am charged with the responsibility of talking about fasting. And I, oh, when I thought about this, I realized, what have I done to myself? Because I realized if I'm, I'm going to talk about fasting and specifically around fasting from food, if I'm going to do any honest work with this, it means I'm going to have to fast. And oh, I, I, I like food a lot. I actually, I love food. I, I wonder sometimes if God has given me the spiritual gift of eating. I'm just continually blessed by eating. Eating is big for me. I, I just, some of you know this. I'm, I'm with you and whenever leftovers are left over, it's like, oh, just give it to Dave. He'll take care of it. Like I, I have, oh, I, I like food. Like this is a, this is a test. Fasting confronts something for me. I, I don't know how I'm expressing very well that I like food. I, so our missional family, maybe this is a good example, is someone had the beautiful, wonderful idea of bringing a huge bowl of Lindor chocolates. Like, you know, those like chocolate balls, like morsels of goodness. I, I actually had no idea there was such an amazing array of flavors. Like there's, I think like a dozen. And so I looked at this bowl and witnesses among me. <laughs> Everyone said, oh, this one's my favorite. Oh, this one's my favorite. Oh, you got to try this one. So I thought, to be fair, I should try them all. That was the, and then once I tried them all, I needed to cleanse my palate and then try it again to have a proper assessment of which one was my favorite. And then in order to declare which one was my favorite, I then had to eat that one too. So I don't know what the final count was of, of chocolate, but it was a lot. Anyway, I, okay, I like food. I like food. I don't know about you, but I like food. And this maybe is like utterly simple to say, but food is very basic to being human. I, I probably don't need to convince you of that. But look at like major life events. I, I've yet to be to a wedding where it has not been celebrated with food. Perhaps you've had an experience of being away far from home, and maybe one of the things that you uh, most quickly feel your homesickness is a yearning for food, something that's familiar back home. Perhaps when uh, loved ones are sick and they get to the point where they can't eat food anymore, that's a very jarring moment. We offer food, we offer breakfast every week together because we think eating food together is how we live into being a family. Food is, is a big deal in our life. I'm, like, you know this, right? We can't live without it. Like, if anything is core and central and basic to our life, it is food. Yet, we actually have a pretty complicated relationship with food. It's certainly for me, it's something I often expect or demand whenever I want it, however 
I want it. It is this incredible luxury that we could go to a grocery store and pick whatever foods we want from anywhere in the world. That, that is a luxury, but it's, it's normal, it's commonplace, and very easily we just assume that that's our right. I, this has happened too many times now, where I've walked down the, the aisle of a grocery store, and I've looked at the tea section, and the Bengal spice aisle or spot has been empty, because you're all buying it when I drink it when I go to your homes. <laughs> you know, Bengal spice is the flavor of St. Clair. <laughs> and I get angry. I'm like, shouldn't they know to stock more Bengal spice? Like, this is happening all the time where Bengal spice is gone. And I'm like, come on. Shouldn't have someone have this figured out? I, t- I treat it as a right or as like some kind of demand as though I'm owed whatever kind of food whenever I want. And we know, we know that across this world and in our own backyard, too many of us have too little when it comes to food. And we, or maybe I should say me, I often complain about abundance in terms of food. I think food is actually something that reveals a lot for us. I know for me, it reveals cravings and self-control. I notice, I I can see a very direct correlation between my discipline and my self-control or my lack of self-control in what I eat and how that infects my discipline and self-control in many other areas of life. I notice that if I exercise some degree, like some degree, of self-control with food, it actually gives me help to exercise self-control in many other areas of life. Somehow, my craving for food represents more than just a simple hunger to eat something. Treating food as a spiritual discipline for us, I think maybe hits a nerve that not all other spiritual disciplines do. I think it may be actually how we eat gets to the heart of something of who we are much quicker than a lot of other spiritual practices that we would have in our life. I mean, the reality is, is that many of us, not all of us, but many of us, at some point in time, or perhaps often, fast. We just call it a diet. And we have a different motivation for how and why we're doing it. But we have these short-term big changes to our diet with some end in mind. Yet, when we think about that as a spiritual endeavor, it's like, whoa, 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 I don't know about that. Fasting reveals who we are and what we love. I should say it is worth a disclaimer to qualify when I'm talking about fasting and fasting particularly from food, to to be able to say it actually won't apply for some of us in the room. If you have a medical condition and having like an extreme change in your eating would be a danger to you, then you shouldn't fast. If you're already struggling to find a way to get enough food on the table for the day, then you shouldn't take on fasting as some kind of religious obligation. And 
if your motivation for fasting can't exist without how it will affect your image, i.e. losing weight, then maybe right now fasting is not for you. We live in such an image-saturated culture that it is very hard. It gets very, this tangled mess to know how to approach this ancient spiritual practice without being just getting messed up with so many other motives. I think it is relevant for both men and women, but I think especially girls have been dealt a very, very hard hand in this, being told over and over and over and over, like in an inescapable way, this is what beauty looks like. And that's your measuring stick. And it's this impossible standard that really actually is not beautiful at all. But there's, it is so difficult to turn off the gears of that being the expectation or that being the ideal of a good life. I mean, it, like you, I think we know, and some of you know it much, much more real than I do that being bombarded with images of what we should look like is a constant resurfacing of insecurities in our life. And so to engage with a practice like food, where maybe food has been a stumbling block in trying to develop a healthy image of ourselves, may prove too difficult right now. I mean, our, the image thing is, every, like, grocery stores, TV, whatever, like, everywhere. I saw this book in the library the other day, it's not a very good photo, but th- I mean, this is like just so commonplace. It, I, it, there's nothing shocking about it if you can't read it. It says, how not to look old. It says, fast and effortless ways to look 10 years younger, 10 pounds lighter, 10 times better. It's amazing. I, thank you, Charla Krupp. I don't <laughs> Like, if someone actually had the formula to that, it would be gold. But everyone's clamoring, clamoring to have the claim on that. It is this elusive, impossible chase of trying to look perfect. And so somewhere along the line, for many of us, working with food is actually very difficult and maybe in some ways has been a deeply painful endeavor. So I don't want you to hear in what I'm saying that everyone should be fasting from food. Fasting is not about bettering ourselves. So we need to be cautious in what we're fasting that it doesn't become a hindrance in itself, but it's actually a help to us in responding to God's nearness in our life. Perhaps in replacing food, We can choose something that is significant enough that if it were removed, your involuntary urges will get directed towards something else, i.e. God. Choose something that goes a layer deeper to reveal who you are and what you love. So let me say what fasting is not. Fasting is not self-mastery. It's not this conquering of the body and this just determination of will as though the body is 
bad and needs to be conquered. That's not what fasting is. Fasting actually is a validation of our bodies and who God has made us to be. But we'll get to that. Maybe you know this, that fasting is not actually a command in Scripture. If you leaf through the pages of Scripture, you won't find a command that says, you must fast. You will find a lot of examples of God's people fasting at different times throughout Scripture, and I'll name some of those for us. And Jesus, even in the Sermon on the Mount, does say, not if you fast, he does say, when you fast. He was speaking to a people whom fasting was a regular practice. For the most part, for Jews of the day, it would have been two times a week. It was a deeply ingrained reality in their life. And fasting is not a discipline for discipline's sake, which is true for any discipline. But if fasting becomes about fasting, then it becomes legalism. It's lost the spirit of the practice. It's meant to point us to something more. Okay. Let me actually get to talking about what I want to offer, what fasting is. I've done a bunch of fasts. And I'm not, I don't know if any of them have gone well. I've done a bunch that are uh, like a one-day thing. And I think more often than not, I've gotten to the end of the day and I'm very hungry. And uh, I'm doing the math. I'm thinking, well, it was probably about 9 o'clock last night that I ate. And I'm, oh, it's 9.05 now. That's 24 hours. That's a day fast. Boom, where's McDonald's? Like, <laughs> there have been a few times where I've gorged myself at the end of the fast and be like, is that really what this was about? And I, I've even done some extended fast. And honestly, to this point, I've only come away grumpy and moody and actually probably largely discouraged because the thing that I thought would happen or needed to happen didn't happen. I think that's because I've treated fasting as something I've tried to use to get myself closer to God. That it's this thing where I've thought, well, it's what spiritual people do. And then I thought, well, that's what I, I want to be spiritual, so I'll fast. And then I'm, it's, it very quickly has become this way of trying to prove or trying to earn something before God. What I am learning is that fasting is an embodied spiritual response. It's not a physical act trying to get spiritual results. When you look at the pattern of Scripture, you see over and over again, when people choose to do a fast, it is this whole body response to a sacred moment. When God is doing something, fasting at several different times in Scripture seems like the most appropriate response to be married and paired with prayer. I don't know about you, but it can be hard to always try to be conscious of God in our life. Like just thinking, oh, I need to be thinking about God. That's hard. That's a big uphill climb. If we leverage our hunger 
as a way of reminding us of, and being attentive to God, it can actually, in a very helpful way, in a good way, impulsively remind us of a yearning for God that as we hunger for food, we may also hunger for God. Fasting allows our body to speak first rather than our head. And I think actually this is probably why fasting is dropped off as a spiritual practice is because for us Westerners, we assume for the most part that our faith doesn't amount to much more than thoughts or ideas that we need to understand in our head. And the act of fasting is actually this visceral experience of our faith where our faith gets a little bit more embodied. Jesus was the one who walked this earth full of grace and truth. He embodied a faith for us. And the more that we can bring in practices in our life that make real and tangible our faith, it will produce something in our life. We very easily, in many things, tend towards what is immediate and casual, things that come with little cost, and really, fasting is the antithesis of that. There's, there's pretty much no instant gratification when you fast. It is a slow and difficult act. It reveals something of who we are and what we love. So let me offer very quickly some biblical examples of fasting. So in Matthew 4, Jesus fasted 40 days. It says in Scripture that he was hungry. I consulted Rob on the original Greek language of this, but a better translation would have been to say that Jesus was hangry. <laughs> like, what an understatement to say that Jesus was hungry after 40 days. I, if it was me, I'd, I don't know what I would have done. I would, things would have been broken. It would not have gone well. It would have been quite moody and angry. And here it is, Jesus embodying a faith where he went hungry for 40 days. Moses, Elijah, Jesus, the law, the prophets, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, they all did 40-day fasts. That was territory that they dared to venture into. Fasting, as Jesus demonstrates it for us, is a physical act that validates our very body. Let me read for you 2 Corinthians 4. Says, this is Paul saying, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we are alive, we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us but life is at work in you. Let me run us through some other examples in Scripture. Judges 20, Israel fasted when seeking God's will. 2 Samuel 12, David fasted, pleading that God would save his son, even though he still died. Esther 4, Esther pleaded with the Jews to fast, and a nation of people were saved. Acts 13, new believers fasted, 
and prayed. And God spoke to them. It's at that moment that they sent out Barnabas and Saul as missionaries. Daniel 10. Daniel does this partial fast. He just abstains from choice foods. No meat, no wine. And then he prays for three weeks. And there's this crazy moment where he has this vision. He's confronted with an angel who says, oh, since the day you set your heart to devote to God, I've come to give you an answer. But it took me three weeks because I was held up by the powers and principalities that were over Persia. There was this spiritual warfare going on in the time that Daniel was fasting and praying. And then Archangel Michael shows up to rescue that battle. And then finally, Daniel is confronted with this incredible vision where God answers his prayers. Daniel 10, go read it this afternoon and you can be floored. Jesus in his ministry also said this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. When the disciples are like, why didn't it work for us? I cannot in this, I don't know if I can at all, but I certainly can't in this time give a helpful theological explanation for all that, other than to say something happens when we fast and pray. Maybe that's as much as I can give you on that, but something happens when we fast and pray. Isaiah 58 says this. I'm going to read it for us. This is uh, God's people saying, Why have we fasted? They say. God, have you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't noticed? Yet on the day your fast, this is God saying, Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only bowing one's head like a reed or for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed and break every yoke. Is not, it is not to share your food with the hungry or to provide the poor with poor wandered with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. What if fasting is our response to the injustices of this world. What if rather than 
pointing our finger at broken systems and saying that doesn't work and then folding our arms and getting mad because no one else is as upset as us. What if fasting and prayer was our response to those who are poor and oppressed, that we joined in solidarity and identified with the needs of others? That's what fasting is about. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. As we've been reading, Psalm 63. God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being, whole being, longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. It was in the desert when everything's being stripped away that Jesus is tempted to turn a rock into bread. And what does Jesus say? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus knew what would sustain him. Jesus knew what would satisfy him. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. So, I mean, I think here's the ultimate question that lies at the heart of fasting, is what do we long for? Are we willing to go to difficult places in our own life, the empty places, the desert, to hear the voice of the one who calls us beloved? It is a daring act to put God to the test on this to stretch ourselves into very uncomfortable places and trust that God is good enough to meet us there. I think fasting is actually a very courageous act. Now, I'm not, I don't think, I'm foolish enough to think that anyone in the right mind is actually going to want to fast just for the sake of fasting. It is a response to the sacred moments of our life. It is this embodied spiritual response to a deeper yearning for God. And the only way we can yearn and hunger more for God is that it would be God's spirit doing that work in us. That's not a work we can just make up or manufacture on our own. Fasting doesn't sort of create a hunger. It actually gives space for a hunger that is all ready there. And we hunger for a lot of things. And we settle for a lot of lesser loves. God gives us an invitation during the season of Lent to step into some thin places and to dare to let him meet us there. I'm going to pray because it, it's got to be God's spirit that would make this something in our life. Otherwise, it's just another religious thing to do. And I don't want that, and I don't want you to feel that. Um, I'm going to invite music crew to come on up. Will Albert is going to lead us in communion together as we have this confession uh, in taking the Lord's Supper.
Perhaps maybe I'll give you one practical suggestion and I'll leave it. You can take it or leave it at this. Maybe a daring start to this thing of fasting, if that's appropriate for you right now, is to come on a Sunday morning, to come early enough for when breakfast is happening, so food is in front of you, but don't eat. Actually let the first thing that you eat on a Sunday morning be the bread and the juice as a yearning for God. Maybe some of you could dare to try that. Would you pray with me? God, we love you because you first loved us. And there's so much that competes for our love for you. There's so much that mutes or stifles a deeper longing for you. God, we may not know where else to start. God, would you give some of us courage to consider what we eat, why we eat, and how we eat. God, I ask your grace for this in my life. I often feel ashamed in how I take for granted food, and I'm often so careless with it. God, would you forgive me for that? God, teach us what it means to hunger and thirst for your righteousness in a world that desperately needs it. May we be advocates for those who are hungry. God, would you align and make right our desires and longings to pursue you, the one who satisfies, the one whose love is better than life. Amen.